and just like that, my two college buddies, Doug and Ryan, hey, are here. They have appeared. Thanks for having us. You know, I just, sometimes we like to have a little conversation, um, just talk together on stage, and we wanna wrap up the series that way today. And I just remembered, the last time we did this, Ryan, uh, you, not o- you not only called me out for having a few notes written on my hand, <laughs> but then drew a complete blank right. trying to think of something I'm good at. So I'm so very nervous to be six here doing this. To now. Ah, Would give me God help, help, God help us. Six months I'm not, from I'm now? Not, it's not gonna feel genuine. I'm yeah, not even all right. asking for all right. that. I'm not even gonna try. I, just I had the best compliment that you've ever heard lined no. up, and now I'm not gonna say it. I don't it. want it. Don't need it. I've grown since that. You just I'm not living for the praise of man, mm-hmm. oh, amen. especially Ryan. Amen. Yeah. amen. So whatever. But welcome, guys. We're gonna have a conversation today. We've been in this series, Where's Jesus? Asking this question, um, looking at scripture and looking at a specific moment. So give us the breakdown. Give a recap to the people that may not have been here the last couple weeks. Yeah, Where's Jesus? Uh, came from a conversation we had last October. We were reading Luke 24, or I think you and I were reading Luke 24. Doug was probably listening to Luke 24. And um, we came across... We like to make jokes that that Doug doesn't know how to read. I don't know why we do that. Um, We came came across this passage. It's always the one that gets filmed, too, that we end up, like, saying all these things. Okay, uh, at the end of Luke 24, Jesus has gone to the cross, and then he uh, defeats sin and death. And the disciples don't know that, that he's back yet, and they're in this upper room. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus appears to them, and he says this to them, Luke 24, 44, and 45. Then he said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms have to be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus is saying, your entire Bible all points to me says he went on to open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. We were reading that and realized, man, we should take five weeks to do the same thing. What if we taught the church how to read our Bibles this way? Because the truth is the the Bible is kind of like a, a Where's Waldo book. You remember that from childhood? Every page, there's all these different people and you have to try to find out where he is. Well, the Bible is the same idea, but with Where's Jesus? So on every single page, there's all these different characters, but Jesus is all throughout scripture. And so what if we took some time to learn how to read our Bibles this way? And what's fun about that is the Bible, it's a reminder that the Bible is not primarily a book about principles. Like there's lots of principles in there. Forgive, be generous, love your neighbor. But if you major on the principles, like Doug said last week, and forget the person, you're just gonna end up feeling exhausted, right? First and foremost, the Bible is a story about a person named Jesus who makes room for a bunch of imperfect people like all of us in this room and listening online to continue to pursue a perfect God. So I just, we, we were reading it, picturing the disciples like so nervous about these, these next steps and going to plant the church and having no idea how they're going to do it. And then Jesus shows up and goes, hey, remember at the end of the day, This is about a person. 
It's about Jesus. And it's about reminding ourselves over and over and over again that Jesus is the rock that we are building this church on. And so then if you turn the page from Luke 24, uh, and the Bible scholars in the room are like, you can't turn the page from Luke 24. That's the last chapter in Luke's gospel. Correct, but you may not have known this. Luke actually wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote the gospel according to Luke, and then he also wrote a book called Acts. Acts is, if you are in your Bible, you turn from Luke 24, then you skip over John's gospel. Uh, Acts was also Luke writing uh, about all the adventures of the early church. Okay, so Luke's gospel is primarily about Jesus. The book of Acts is about these guys taking the message of Jesus to the world. It's about building the church. We pick up the story in Acts 1 and verse 8, and it says this, but you, this is Jesus talking, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is going, hey, this message that you heard here, we don't want it to stay here. We want you to take it to the world. We want you to build the church. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. We, we, we wanna answer the question, where is Jesus after Luke 24? Well, the answer is Jesus is building his church. We wanna talk about why we, we do what we do here on Sundays and throughout the week as we go love our city. We wanna talk about the church today. And I think for us, we get that as a premise, like okay, then these guys go and they start the Christian church. But we all have challenges within this idea of building his church and believing that Jesus is in the midst of it, that he's building his church. If you ask that question, where's Jesus right now? He's building his church, that's what he's doing. But we all have some church baggage. We've probably had some experiences with the church that make us kind of struggle with that reality. There was a video, viral video 10 years ago on YouTube called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Does anybody remember that? It took off, especially in the Christian world. And I remember watching that going, yes, because Jesus didn't come here to create a religion. He came for, here for a relationship with his people. And I love the video. I love the premise of what this guy was saying. I think the mistake that we so often make is to also believe that means why I hate the church but love Jesus. And there's a huge difference between religion and the church. The church is a body of people, starting with these disciples in Luke 24 sitting there and Jesus is like, hey, this is all about me, so go tell everybody. Go tell the whole world and that's what we're a part of. That's our inheritance, that's our call as the church. But I think we've mistakenly continually kind of thought, I, I wanna be like Jesus somewhat in my life but I don't wanna deal with the church. I hate the church, I love Jesus. But you can't do that because that's not how Jesus operate, and that was not his posture towards his church. Yeah, it's a body of believers. It's also the bride of Christ. And so to say, imagine going up to any husband, really, and being like, hey, I'm cool with you, you're awesome, but your bride, your wife is, uh, I mean, that's not gonna go well, ever. And so to say, I love Jesus, I just can't really stay in the church. You I hope it doesn't go well. You would? <laughs> you hope it doesn't go well, the guy's like, yeah, dude, me too. Yeah, for <laughs> To say that to Jesus, I mean, I just can't imagine that. Um, and so here, here's what I've been thinking recently. There is always a time to critique. However, we were created and made to create. Um, and so I think about it this way, talking about 
being creatively made in the image of a creative God who sat over a formless void of nothing and saw what could be and then made it happen. And we are made in his image to be able to do the same thing, to, to, to see a future that has not yet been realized and then go and create it and build it and make it. And that separates us from the rest of all of creation. If you think about it, my dog Luna right now is at home sleeping and she has the breath of God in her. She is a uh, a product of God's brilliance and genius and creativity, but she does not have the image of God within her that is reserved for the human being. And it is a blessing and a burden at the same time because it means you can see a future that hasn't been realized yet. You can see a life for yourself that hasn't happened yet. You, we can see the church for what it could be that it's currently not, and we can go and, and make it happen. I would argue that's even the, the cultural mandate. That's one of the very first things God tells people is go and create within it. I've made you to do that. The beauty of the story I've written you into um, the beauty of it means that you matter to me and you can create within it even as I have created you. And so go create the church and build the church. Um, however, I, I do think, and this is more of a, just Christian culture at large, especially in our country recently, it's kind of like we're stuck in critiquing mode. <laughs> um, and I was thinking, well, we're not made in the image of a critiquer. We're made in the image of a creator. Um, and of course, there's a time and place for it. You said a few months, uh, a few sermons ago, and it, I heard a, you could hear a pin drop, and I felt the spirit, like everybody was like, oh yeah, that you, as a pastor, you've had more conversations with people about podcasts about fallen pastors and documentaries made about fallen churches than you have conversations about Jesus in the Bible. And because there's something about it that we, we all kind of enjoy a little bit getting to critique and because it makes us feel better, um, makes us feel like we're doing something. Uh, it's in a weird way, like that's why bad news sells and drama sells. It's like the angrier I get, the happier I get in a weird way at the same time. And I get a rush off of everything else. And so we, we're kind of, we, it's so easy to get stuck in this um, just critiquing. And now it, it is important for me to say this, um, that every time we critique, there, there, there is a reason. And so if somebody's walking through a season of deconstruction, it's probably because there was something there that needed to be deconstructed. Or if we're critiquing or analyzing, it's because there's, there's stuff there that needs to be made better and needs to change and needs to be critiqued. Absolutely. It's just without the end game of moving on from this and actually implementing and building and let's get going and doing... Um, this becomes actually um, worse than how, you know what I mean? It's, a, it, it's almost like, it's not a, it's not a through street, it's a cul-de-sac. And I have, uh, I've even had, we did a series a few years ago called Religion Rehab that resonated so much with this church. I still get questions about it. I talked a lot about experiences I had uh, with church baggage and getting hurt by the church and how I held on to it for 16 years. Um, and a lot of stuff like whether it's you know meme accounts or documentaries, like a lot of those things offer a first step in a good way yeah. to hey come and let's let's laugh about this, let's get a new perspective. Um, but they're in their own nature cul-de-sacs. Before you know it, ten years go by and you've just been making victory laps, talking about pastors in their shoes and sending memes and there's a place for it. I'm just saying the end game needs to be okay. Let's move on to healing. 
Let's move on to building because where's Jesus? He's building his church. And in a lot of ways, I think the comfort and complacency that we can live in in America as the church uh, gives us the ability to sit and think that by critiquing, we're doing something. It also can be an excuse to inaction, right? Like, well, look at how bad that is to justify that I'm not gonna go do anything about it, but I've pointed out to everybody else, see, see, this is bad. I wonder if a lot of the like critique, comment sections, tribal, like all of it, I wonder sometimes if all of this is symptoms of boredom. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, our friend Pastor Timothy in India, we'll go visit him. He is, there is a high cost to proclaiming that Jesus is king in India. Um, You know, he is, rescuing girls from the red light districts, trying desperately to get Jesus to his cities, experiencing crazy resistance, and he just is not bored enough to have time to critique. And I think, I think in our nation, like the cost of Christianity, the cost to be a Christian has been relatively low, almost a badge of honor, it's been easy. In fact, it's been encouraged for centuries. Up until just recently, the cost is now getting higher to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and I actually, what I want to say is don't fear that. Um, every church has thrived when they've been pushed to the margins and resistance has come. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper you drive it. I think as the cost to, to follow Jesus gets higher, that people will actually rise to it. Um, we'll be a lot less bored because there'll be a lot more to do. We don't have time to critique and, and do all that as much because we gotta reach some people for Jesus because our city so desperately needs this right now. And like we've been saying, there's a place for looking around and surveying and, and learning and growing from those things. We do that here at our church with like WEX meetings, for example, talk about that. Oh yeah, so every Tuesday we have two meetings that are called our WEX's Weekend Experience. It's abbreviated. abbreviated. Um, the meeting before lunch, meeting number one, we look back on the previous Sunday and we celebrate first and foremost all the wins that God did. But then we also look at, okay, how, like, what can we do to make it better? This is our, our weekend gathering of a community that is the church. It's a big deal. And if it's worth doing, it's worth evaluating and surveying and making it better. Like we, we're in the process of building something that is imperfect and not there yet. And we, we believe so much in that. But then after lunch, we sit down for meeting number two and we talk about, okay, now let's, let's move on with this and let's, let's talk about this coming Sunday and take what we've learned and in a process that I believe this is all worship, we're gonna make something even more beautiful this coming Sunday. And so we evaluate and, and critique. Yeah, that's a, a synonym of evaluate, but for the sake of, okay, now let's go build and make something even more beautiful and better. And all of that I would call worship. But we tend to live in just the first meeting Yeah, we as do. a culture. I think right? we are stuck there. I'm not saying this, like the shout out to you guys. This is, it's a, a, a real gift to get to pastor you. I just know the trajectory of churches as they all grow. <laughs> we look at just Christian culture at large in our nation. We are stuck in meeting number one. Yeah, we have a hard time with the fact that the church is messy that it is a bunch of imperfect people. I, I felt like in 2020, we kept having to say, remind everybody, hey, church is not a building. Jesus isn't coming back for 7625 North Interstate 35. <laughs> He's coming back for the people, right? He's coming back for his church. And we had to say that over and over. It's us, we're the church, we are the church. 
And I, I felt like God challenged me with the reality of what Jesus did by after Luke 24, going to these guys and going, okay, go tell the world. I'm handing this baton to you. You go reach the world. And I think that's like the craziest idea. Like, why would you do that? Jesus, why would you trust? Like, you know how imperfect these guys are. And I felt this check where God was just like, hey, uh, if I'm comfortable with the fact that the church is imperfect, then you need to be too. If Jesus understood that he was about to commission a bunch of imperfect people, then you need to also embrace the mess and embrace the fact that it's a bunch of imperfect people. And while it's crazy in theory, like what Jesus was doing, the beauty of it is 2,000 years in, so many amazing things have happened through the church, but it's all been such imperfect people that people look at it and go, something's behind this. It can't just be these mere human beings. It's Jesus, and it points us to him. And so I think for us, like today, looking forward now, as we've talked about the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and we, the Good Samaritan, and these, these Bible narratives, and these things we've learned, hey, Jesus is at the center of these things. Now we look to where it goes from there, and say, hey, where's Jesus? He's building his church. And we need to get on board with that as well, to go build his church. And that's a process, because everybody in this room, if we passed mics around, would probably have a story to tell of why you don't like church or why you struggle with church, church baggage. A lot of you probably got dragged here today and you were worried walking in here, what's my experience gonna be? Am I gonna get struck by lightning? That's how I felt in college, going to a college ministry. Like, they're all gonna know when I walk in, like, uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, go, go back to the bars. This guy shouldn't be here, right? Um, but we gotta process through this and, and I think that we have three keys that will kind of help us to keep this mentality. Where's Jesus? He's building his church. Where's Jesus? He's building his church. And so, it's this, search your heart, survey the house, build his church. And it's a, it's a process that we need to all do personally. It's a process that the disciples had to learn quickly. Yeah, this is uh, one example. This is found right in Acts chapter 15. I would encourage you to, to study that chapter this week. The disciples go out and start building the church. As they go, there's an awful lot of conflict that comes their way. By the way, conflict doesn't always have to be an obstacle can actually be an opportunity to, to dig a little bit and to search our hearts and to let God work through us. The conflict in Acts 15 is, um, so the Jesus movement started, uh, was rooted out of Judaism, but uh, of course John 3.16 says that God so loved the entire world that he gave his son, meaning the gospel is for everyone, and so they start taking this gospel message to the ends of the earth, and all of these Gentiles, which is just a, a word for a, a non-Jewish person, start hearing the gospel and getting saved. Well, here's the, the problem, uh, circumcision was really important to, to Judaism in the first century. And, and so while all of these Gentiles are getting saved, there's this in-house debate, this conflict going on where some people are going, yeah, but, like if they wanna be a part of this, you know? So, so like imagine you are a Gentile in the, in the first century. You've been asking all of these deep questions about life, trying to figure things out. You go to a church, somebody starts talking about Jesus. And for the first time in your life, you, you feel like somebody's putting language to what you've always felt and you realize, man, like I do wanna stop building my own kingdom. I wanna build God's kingdom. I am an imperfect person pursuing a perfect God. And you raise your hand and you say you're ready to follow Jesus and it's amazing. And then you go to Grow, shout out to Grow. <laughs> and uh, they go, hey, welcome. We're so glad that you're a part of this church imperfect people pursuing a perfect God, and you go, that's, yeah, that's me. And they go, we just believe that everybody is saved by grace through faith, and you go, oh, thank God. 
and they go, one other thing, <laughs> you know? It's gonna be a deal breaker. All the guys just walk out. I didn't like church, now I don't like it even more. It's gonna be a deal breaker, right? You see this conflict. And what this conflict forced the, the church leaders to do is stop and, and search their heart. Ask questions uh, uh, about, okay, so, so is this truth or is this tradition that we are holding on to? I, I picture like Peter thinking back to that, that upper room where Jesus just walks in and goes, hey, remember, this is all about me. This is all about grace. This is all about what I've done for you. Don't try to add something else. It's not Jesus and all of these other things. It's just Jesus. But that, they got to that process, but they had to search their own hearts first. Once they were able to do that, then they come together and they survey the house. They take a look around at, at what's going on and they're able to, to see clearly um, the, the message of Jesus and get excited again to go build the church. I'll just read one verse, Acts 15 and verse 19 says this. This is their conclusion. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. They get to a point eventually after all of the hard heart work where they go, you know what? Our job is to point people to Jesus. Let's eliminate all barriers to entry that might get in the way. So for 2,000 years, there has been a call for the church to search our hearts, survey the house, and get back to building the church. And the beautiful thing is then they go back and do it. Yeah. They don't just sit in that room forever and just yeah. argue with each other. They go, okay. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. We're all on the same page here. You're going there, you're going there, you're going there. We're going to do exactly what Jesus told us, which is to tell the world, but it starts with a posture of humility in searching our hearts, which I think we bypass in a lot of ways as human beings. And we have to do it on a personal level. It has to start there. It's so easy to skip it. I remember years ago, the first pastoral job that I had, I was in the lobby after a service, I was having a conversation with somebody and, and a lady ran up and interrupted the conversation. She goes, Ryan, come with me right now. Which, as a pastor in the lobby, that can be like one of a million different things, you know? So we're walking out to the, the courtyard and like, as we're on our way out, she's, she's all, all flustered. I go, hey, hey, what's going on? And I'll never forget it. She goes, somebody is smoking in our courtyard. And I looked at her and I said, what? Like, like smoking what, first off? <laughs> you know? Because it may be a huge improvement from what they were smoking last week. <laughs> Just cigarettes? Oh, thank God. Thank yeah, God. That's, <laughs> that's great news. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but she goes, she goes, well, what, what are we going to say? And I said, well, how, like, how about like welcome? Like, thank you for being here. Okay, let's pause that scene like a football coach analyzing film and zoom in and, and search our hearts in that moment, right? At some level, and this is years ago, this is the, the journey that she was on, but at some level, she, she, she wasn't getting it yet, right? Like last time I checked, when the father ran to the prodigal son, he didn't check his pocket for cigarettes before he hugged him, right? He said, no, we start with identity, we start with the ring, we start with the shoes, we start with the robe, we start with the party, you are welcome here. Right? And, and so, like, if you, you hear the language, that person 
is smoking on our courtyard. It's this us against them kind of language. And, and I have to confess, I've been guilty of this um, so many times in my life where now when I start speaking that way, like, like them and then us, I, I stop and I go, okay, God, search my heart. What's going on here? Why am I having such a hard time starting with we're all human beings made in the image of God? right? Like, let me lay down my pride and let's like, yeah, we're going to have conversations and debate and all of that, but let's start with the Imago Dei image of God, okay? But let's move this a a layer deeper because it would be easy to hear that story and just throw stones at at that lady, right? When, When David says, search my heart, he doesn't say, search that person's heart over there, like some of you are listening to this story like, I'm so glad my spouse is here. I sure hope he hears what Ryan's saying. No, the prayer is search my My wife, heart. she's hoping that right over there. Justified for I'm step. not listening to Ryan. <laughs> Never has. Never has. Okay, what's going on in, in my heart during that moment? At some level, I'm going, what's this like? Why are we being so religious right now, you know? Like, like when, when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, he's talking to Pharisees who love to point out the flaws in other people, right? Well, at some level, I'm doing the same thing about this lady. There's a, a great pastor named Tim Keller who says the quickest way to become a Pharisee is to hate a Pharisee. At some level, I'm going, what's up with all of this like religion stuff that we're doing, like let's just love people and I'm creating the same system in my mind where I'm going, I've got this better than everybody else, right? So we have to search our hearts constantly. Every single day going, okay, God, I don't, I don't like that that's in me. Thank you for revealing it to me. Would you help me get better? This is what it looks like to let God search our hearts. You know how powerful it would be if, let's say the next time something comes out in the news about a church or a pastor and it's bad news, before critiquing, before dialoguing, before posting, before if the gut reaction was to search your own heart. I mean, I feel like we all just blow straight past that. Yeah, no amens for that. (laughs) (laughs) But to just go, okay, Okay, hold a sec. Hold on a yeah. second. All of us, yeah. in some way, shape, or form, are hypocrites and imperfect in need of Jesus. Some are just famous for it, but all of us, including me, have it. That's so good, man. Faithfulness doesn't make the news. Let me assess my heart, and that—that that is. We spend, I mean, we, and it's our culture too, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing to spend time on external stuff with our lives. That's just easier. It's easier to measure, but to look inward is an infinite frontier of stuff to find. I heard it said the human heart is kind of like a, a crowded city with buildings and streets everywhere, and the only way God can build something new is if he first tears down and rips out something old but that costs something. But revival corporately only happens when it first happens in the hearts of individuals. It is not free. But my goodness, what if we paid that price? Search, search your heart. Because then, step number two, survey the house. 
you step into the space of, um, okay, let's analyze what, what's wrong, what needs to be made better. But now your heart posture is correct. Yeah. Now it's not critique the house, it's survey the house. It's two very different things. This is the bride of Jesus. One day she will be perfect. Right now it's a work in progress. And I would say to that, good. I heard a quote recently too that was like, if we had the utopia that all of us want right now, within three days we would find a way to ruin something so we'd have something to fix and do. And so there's stuff to do to build the church. Good, guys. We got stuff to do. It's awesome. Let's go. Let's build. But let's look. Let, let's survey it because it, it's worth it. Um, the parable that uh, Jay from Laguna made yeah. up. I, okay, this guy, this um, Jay, he just was talking about the church. This was like 10 years ago, and he made up this story about this guy who got stranded on a deserted island all by himself for 10 years, just by himself. Finally gets rescued um, from a boat that he sees. He swims out to the boat, and they, they pull him into the boat, and they're sailing away, and him and the captain are standing on the back of the, the ship looking at the island, and he's reminiscing and telling some stories, and, and the captain says, I see three, there's three huts on the on the shore, what are those? What's the, and he goes, the, well, the first one's my house, and the second one is my church, and the third one, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> it's just him on the island, so he made the first one, but it was imperfect, so he's like, well, the answer is obviously a different church. Um, it is important to note there's a difference between recognizing like a toxic culture and just imperfect churches that need all of us as the body of Christ to to survey it and then to go and build it and make it better. Yeah, there's wisdom in learning from history, not repeating the same mistakes, surveying, but then you drive to the through road and you learn from it and then you go build again. And that's what the disciples did and that's what we're called to do. And uh, I think when you do that is when you start to get back to the impact that we're supposed to be having. And the world looks at us and goes, I can get on board with that. I think a lot of times the world looks at the church and they're like, why would I wanna be a part of that? All you guys do is argue with each other and fight over little things. Why would I wanna come join that battle when you say that you're the light of the world, a city on a hill? I was talking to this guy, Scott Brugman, who's the father of Red Rocks Church. He moved to Denver in the early 2000s. He, for two years, just tried to raise money to just get this little church off the ground and over the years has sacrificed and, and done so much to put people in places to be able to have impact and through their ministries within our church, all these different things he's done. And as we were talking, and I was kind of having a survey the house conversation with him about Red Rock Sauce and just asking him questions about how we're doing, what we're doing, what can we do better, what would you push us in, how can we keep coming back to Jesus? And uh, he kept saying, not trying to be profound, but in the conversation, he kept telling me, man, in the early days we did this and we did this and we did this. And he would say, because I just wanted the church to work because I just wanted the church to work. Because if the church worked, it meant more and more people came to know Jesus. And I feel like if we all showed up with that mentality on Sundays and then every day of the week, I want the big C church. I want it to work because it's Jesus' plan. Crazy as it might sound, messy as it is, I want it to work because we're to reach the ends of the earth. And when the church comes together and rallies and we search our hearts and we survey the house and then we go build more and more people come to know what we've been talking about these past five weeks that everything has pointed to Jesus. Come on, come on. And then you come out of the, the grandstands, if you will, and then onto the field and into the arena, and let's, let's play, like let's build, let's, let's do. The scary part about that is um, 
as soon as you decide, it's crazy, especially like in the, the Christian world, um, like the meanest emails, DMs, and conversations I've experienced are, are from people who say they follow Jesus, not people outside the church. So like all the, even like the friendly fire, I feel like in the grandstands, throwing nachos and drinks at each other and critiquing what's happening on the field. It's like, hey guys, let's all, let's get down onto the field because we got a church to build. As soon as you decide you wanna be part of the solution, you will be blamed for all the problems. I feel like in all the history of the church, centuries ago too. Um, and what I would say is, okay, own it. Uh, because Jesus did. And let's build regardless because this world needs him. And this world, this is, this is God's plan A for reaching the ends of the earth. He doesn't have a plan B. This is his plan. And what a beautiful gift and calling we have that he invites us to come and play. And says, get out of the stands. And, and, and so the trajectory, like I said, like we were growing fast as a church. And I just know trajectories as churches grow is you get more, um, you get more people in the grandstands and less on the field. And we just wanna do everything that we can to challenge you, to challenge us, to encourage us, to, I think sometimes the only reason, sometimes we don't, we don't rise to the occasion is because nobody has called us to that level yet. And we just wanna make sure that that's not the reason anybody would stay in the grandstands. Um, and, and as we continue to grow, to stay, a community, that, that church is not an event, church is a community that has some events. And us remembering that church is a people, not a place. Um, and then, you know, to never forget and never drift, even like the, the church in Ephesus, when Paul wrote Ephesians, he wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus and that church on paper was crushing it. I mean, they were doing Love Our City every week. They were you know, giving to nonprofits and Ephesus and, and it was, everything was going great. It's crazy though what Jesus writes to them in Revelation 3, he says, however, you have forgotten your first love because you've been doing ministry and assessing and critiquing, making like all of that, but you have, you've forgotten the reason that you started this. We go back to Mary, that story from last week where Mary, while Martha is busy doing Mary is just sitting crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus, her first love. And, and that's why we will on repeat here, just keep coming back to him and singing about him and gathering to talk about him. And uh, it's my sincere prayer as one of your leaders that Jesus will never have to press pause and tell us that we have forgotten our first love. It's always only ever Jesus. And keep, we'll keep asking the question, where's Jesus and everything we do? And if he's not at the very center of it, then we're not gonna do it because it's all about him and about his love. So I wanna close this out, have a moment together. You guys get lost. Um, I think for the disciples, there were moments that they always had to hold on to when they were out building the church, when there was persecution, when there was suffering, when they had disagreements, when they were falling into the critique mentality, that they had these moments that they'd had with Jesus to draw from and to remember the fuel and the source of everything they do, which is his love. And one of those moments would have happened at the Last Supper. As they were all gathered together, having the Passover meal, part of that tradition would have been singing some songs, 
reading Psalms that David wrote and some others. And one of those is Psalm 136. And uh, you picture Jesus at dinner with this crew and what he's trying to communicate to them when they're all about to go abandon him. They're all about to go leave. One of them's already gone to betray him. And they're singing this song together. And so I wanna invite you guys to stand to your feet. We're gonna do a little old school church call and response here because this Psalm, there's a line and then it says his love endures forever. There's a line and it says his love endures forever. And we're just gonna say that over and over and over because I believe it's what echoed in the, the hearts of the disciples always was his love endures forever. And I expect you guys to actually do this. I'm like the 8.30 service, okay? <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. And then they start going into the history of their people who were stuck in slavery in Egypt. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And it keeps going and going through their history. reached their promised land. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. And that night from there, they're all about to scatter. Jesus is betrayed. His love endures forever. And he walks out to the garden his love endures forever. And then he's arrested. His love endures forever. They all flee, Peter denies him. His love endures forever. He's beaten and mocked. His love endures forever. And they fashion a cross and they put it on his back. His love endures forever. And he walks up a hill carrying that cross for you. His love endures forever. And they pierce his hands and feet, just as the prophet said they would with nails, his love endures forever. He's bleeding, he's hanging there suffocating. His love endures forever. He prays for the very men who are killing him. His love endures forever. He cries out to his father, his love endures forever. And he breathes his last, his love endures forever. And then three days later, his tomb is empty. His love endures forever. And he seeks out those disciples who had run from him because his love endures forever. And they sit around in a room and he says, everything's been pointing to me in the fact that my love endures forever. And then he sends them out, imperfect people, a messy church to go reach this world that so desperately needs to know that his love endures forever. And one day he will return and he's not coming back for buildings, he's coming back for his church, his people, because his love endures forever. 
And so my prayer in your life and from this series as we launch from this is that you always remember, just like the disciples, that that's the echo in your ears that his love endures forever. And that night, as they sang that song, they took communion together for the very first time. So we're gonna do that. So if you have a communion cup, grab it. If you don't, as I don't, put your hand up in the air and one of our uh, awesome ushers will bring one to you. Jesus sat in this room with his disciples and he had this moment with them, knowing that they would gather together, knowing that this was a group of guys who loved to eat bread and drink wine and knowing that when they got together, there would be times when they had disagreements, there were gonna be times of difficulty, there was gonna be a time when an entire empire was trying to kill them, but knowing that they would always come back to the table together and always be reminded, where's Jesus? Right in the middle of what we're doing, he's with us, he's our fuel, he's our source, because his love endures forever. Hey, Nehemiah, can I get one of those? Thank you. By the way, the church, being the church, I forgot to tell our team that we were gonna take communion this morning, so we didn't have communion cups. And our friends at Celebration Church, we texted them and they gave us all their communion cups. That's the church being the church right there, right? That's what we're doing. This is about something so much bigger than just gathering for a service. This is about the church, building Jesus' church, going to reach the world to tell them that his love endures forever. And that night, Jesus sat with the disciples and he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat. And then he took a cup and he poured wine into it. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink. This is the starting posture always for us to come back to what Jesus did for us and then to go from there to what he's called us to do in building his church. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us, for your blood that was shed for us. This whole story that you so beautifully wove together to show us yourself, that it's all been pointing to you. And we thank you that you have invited us into building your church, that you've invited us into telling the world about a, a God whose love endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen.